Well, it is great to see you. And if we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And I'm glad that you're here in worship. You know, every single blog post, article, anything that I read about running church services over the past few years says, don't do any sort of greeting time among the congregation anymore. It makes people nervous. They don't like it. No one, you know, it just isn't comfortable for, it, for people. Uh, so don't do it. But you know what? We've been sitting for a while already, and you've heard all sorts of different announcements. I think you should stand up and just say hi to somebody around you. So would you stand up for a second? If you have to travel, just say hello to someone. Meet somebody that you don't know. As, as Andrew said, we are starting a new sermon series this morning, and we're really, we're really switching things up here, because if you've been with us over the last couple of months, you know that since Easter, we spent eight weeks and we did the story of Scripture, and we flew real high. Right? We took the drone view of scripture. We said we were going to get out of the weeds, out of the middle of the corn maze is the illustration that we use multiple times and get up above and, and see how the story connects. And we spent eight weeks going from the first book in the Bible, which is Genesis, to the last book of the Bible. Last week, we talked about the book of Revelation. Now we're going to pivot big time and we're going to spend eight weeks in one of the shortest books in the Bible. So we did eight weeks over the entirety of scripture. Now we're gonna do uh, eight weeks in a book that if you look in your Bible is probably about two and a half pages long. And it's the book of 1 John. And if you're using one of these black Bibles in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 1021. You can turn to so that you can look at that uh, with us together. As I came into this Sunday, uh, I knew, looking at the schedule for the service, that it was going to be a busy morning. And so I prayed, and, I, and as I was preparing, I said, God, help me. Help me figure out exactly what you want to be said this morning um, in, a, in a brief amount of time. Because the constraints are tighter, and I don't know about your brain, but I'll tell you how my brain works. My brain can only take in so much at one time on a Sunday morning or any time. And so I said, God, you know, I know that we have multiple things happening in our service on Sunday. We're going to celebrate different things. People are going to be clapping for like 10 straight minutes. So what is it that you have for us this morning as we move into this, this new book? And I... You know this if you've given presentations at work or if you've done any public speaking at all. It's much easier to ramble on than it is to be concise. One of my favorite quotes about that comes from former president Woodrow Wilson. And he says, if you would like me to speak for 10 minutes, I need two weeks. If you'd like for me to speak for a half an hour, I need a week. 
if you'd like for me to speak for an hour, I'm ready right now. Right? It's much easier to just talk and go on and on than it is to be concise. And I've been praying, and I, I feel like as we just get through the idea of starting this new book, that there's something that God has uh, for us this morning. And it's this question that we're going to deal with throughout this series. How is it, how is it that you and I, that call ourselves followers of Jesus, and I recognize that might not be everybody in the room this morning, but for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, we, we have a relationship with him and we're trying to live this thing out the best that we know how. How is it that we are supposed to do that and not just do that, but find joy in doing that in the midst of a, of a world out there where it seems harder and harder to go and live the life and be the people that we feel like God is calling us to be? I don't know if you feel this. I certainly feel this. That when I, when I leave the confines of a, of a safe space like this where I can proclaim my faith and lift my hands and worship worship God the way that, that I feel called to do. But when I go out there and I'm in the workplace and I'm in the classroom, uh, it seems harder and harder to authentically be able to live what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ out in the world. And the question is, how do we do that and how do we do it with joy? I think that's a question that the book of 1 John, this letter that's, that's written here, even though it's very short, helps us answer. Yesterday, my uh, family and I, we got in the car and we drove about 45 minutes northwest of our house to Lancaster, Massachusetts. I didn't even know uh, Massachusetts had a Lancaster until yesterday. Maybe you knew that, but I found out yesterday that Massachusetts has a Lancaster. It's out on Route 2, and we got in the car, and we started driving in that direction. Uh, we were driving out there because my son, Jackson, his soccer team had made the playoffs. And so it was very exciting. They came through their regular season. They won their division of, of like nine teams. And we were going to the, to the playoffs uh, out in Lancaster yesterday. And we drove out of our driveway. And as we were driving, it was pouring rain. If you remember yesterday, it was pouring rain. And as we kept going northwest, though, something great happened. The skies began to lighten up and the rain began to stop. And about 20 minutes outside of the soccer complex, there was no rain. And so we said, well, this is great. And we pulled onto the property. And my wife turned to me, Lori, my wife turned to me and said, well, at least the team won't have to check in uh, in the rain. Like it might rain later, but at least when we check in, uh, there'll be no rain. And it was like the rain was waiting for her to say that. <laughs> because the second she said, oh, good news, you won't have to check in in the rain, drops started to hit the windshield. It was unbelievable timing, like Hollywood type timing. By the time we parked the car in the parking lot, it was torrential downpour. And so uh, I looked at my two daughters and Lori was sitting in the car and, and I, we said, all right, you guys stay here and Jackson and I will walk down to the field because we've got to get checked in. Time was running short. And so we, we got out of the car and I, and I grabbed one of these things and I was very glad that I had it. And Jackson and I, we got under the umbrella as best as we could and we started walking 
walking towards the field. Now, I don't know if some of you have been to this soccer complex in Lancaster. It's the head of the Massachusetts Youth Soccer uh, Program. It's huge. And there were hundreds of people out there. And so Jackson and I were walking. We were parked probably about a quarter of a mile. I don't think I'm exaggerating that. We were parked about a quarter of a mile from the check-in tent. And so we start walking to the tent, and the rain is coming down around us. It's coming under the umbrella. My shoes are soaked. His cleats are soaked. His socks are soaked. His shin guards are soaked. And we get to the field just in time to see a flash of lightning and hear a clap of thunder. And all hundreds of people, they sound some sort of air horn that everybody knew was time to leave. And as we were walking, all of a sudden, everybody else turned around and there was a sea of hundreds of people running off the fields, running back to their cars. So having traveled the quarter of a mile all the way to the field, we turned around and we walked the quarter of a mile in the torrential downpour back to our car. Now here's the problem when you get back to the car is the umbrella has, has done an okay job of keeping us dry, uh, but you're still bringing dirt and, and, uh, and uh, you know, wetness on your feet into what was a dry and safe place. And so we get into the car and we, we put towels down on the seats and we sit there for 60 minutes and 90 minutes. And the whole time, every time there's another... Uh, flash of lightning. We know it's 30 more minutes before they'll even think about playing any soccer games. The whole time I'm sitting there yesterday, I'm saying to myself, I don't want to go back out there. (laughs) Like I did not like anything about that experience and I'm not going to enjoy standing on the sideline. Um, I'm an assistant coach on this team, but I know nothing other than that ball is supposed to go in that net. I'm there to tell the guys, good job, nice hustle, you're doing great. We have our head coach is this Australian guy that was like a former semi-pro rugby player. He knows what's supposed to happen out on the field. I'm just there to make sure, you know, we have all the the boys when the game is over. I I don't want to stand there on this sideline. And, and in this torrential downpour. So I hope we don't have to go back out there. And here's the thing I think happens to followers of Jesus today. And I've heard this, not just in theory, I've heard this from many of you. You come in spaces like this and it feels like a safe space. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus to talk about missions, to sing songs, lift your hands. And then you go out there, and it is a storm out there. And there's all sorts of stuff happening out there. And every time you go out there, you come back in here and you say to yourself something like, I don't want to go out there again. I don't want to do that again. I don't know if I can keep doing that. And we talk about uh, that we're supposed to follow Jesus with joy. And the question is, how do we, how do we possibly live with joy in what is a very stormy world? Because Jesus came and he said to his disciples things like this in the gospel of John, which I believe was written by the same John that writes this letter that we're in. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, talking to his disciples, that your joy may be in you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. 
I was talking to a, a mom not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, whose son attends middle school in Burlington, uh, Massachusetts. Someone, a family that's a part of our church. I don't know if you saw Burlington Middle School on the news this week. It was not just local news, but some national news picked it up. And this woman's son was having a really hard time because he said, you know, Mom, they want us to all dress up for Pride Month, and I just I don't feel like I can. And she said to him, well, be respectful. Don't be disrespectful to anybody. Um, but you don't have to dress up. And he said, well, some of my friends said that they were going to wear like red, white, and blue uh, because we didn't do anything for Memorial Day and, and we, we want to try something. And so he did. And some kids were very disrespectful at that middle school. Super disrespectful. Uh, I don't think that this uh, boy was. And yet, because he wore red, white, and blue, he was lumped in with the group. And the mom was crying, saying, you know, my son just, we just want to love people and respect people and love Jesus. And we're not sure how to do this anymore. And I don't know if you feel that. I certainly do. John writes his letter to Christians facing a similar thing. Like, not Christians that necessarily want to be on the news or start a Twitter campaign, but Christians that just want to love Jesus and be able to authentically follow him as, fo- as people that have found their ultimate meaning and purpose and, and uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ, but then also go into their workplace and go into their classroom and work alongside people. And yeah, maybe we disagree on certain things or we don't see eye to eye on certain things, but we can love and respect each other, and that's okay. And it's getting harder and harder to feel like we can do that. So how do you live with joy in the midst of all of that? There's an author and a pastor named David Fitch, and he wrote a book called Faithful Presence that I found really helpful. And in the book, he says that for Christians, there's like three circles that we live in. One of them he calls the close circle. And he says the close circle is kind of like home. Like, I hope this is a close circle where people that, that believe like-minded things, and of course, everyone is welcome to come and visit, but many of us in the room call ourselves followers of Jesus. And we get together, you have a Bible study, you have a small group, there's a close circle. It's like home. And then he says there are things like in our world that are, for Christians, that are dotted circles, and that's where we are the host. So there are times where, as followers of Jesus, we would say, hey, we know that we follow Jesus and you don't, but come and join us. Come and be a part of, come see what we're doing. Come to the outdoor worship night. We'd love to have you as our guest. Sometimes Sunday mornings is the dotted circle where we invite people. And then he says more, you know, and then he says there's also these moments where we live in what he calls the half circle. And the half circle is when we as Christians are the guests in the world around us. 
Now, the challenge for many of us who follow Jesus that we have to deal with is that as the years go on, there's far less dotted circles and far more situations where we realize that we are guests in the world around us. And not just do we realize that we're guests, but I don't know about you, many times I feel like a very uninvited guest. That we try to be good guests and we try to love people and we try to love Jesus at the same time, but people, if we say what we really think and believe and have experienced in Christ, that people would say that our thoughts are, are bigoted or, or that, that we're, we're mean or we're cruel. It's really hard to be a good guest when it feels that way. And I know that many of you are battling walking into meetings at work and assemblies in your school and saying, well, how in the world do I authentically be a follower of Jesus Christ when this is the language around me? Like, I think if I actually said that I'm a follower of Jesus, like, that might negatively impact my grades. That might negatively impact whether or not I have a job here. A couple of weeks ago in, in May, I was, uh, I was, I found myself in Dallas, Texas, for a conference. And I remembered that there was a couple that attended here in Belmont for a number of years that had moved to Dallas. And their names are, are Lester and Joe Samuel. Some of you probably remember Lester and Joe if you've been around for a little while. And so I got together with Lester and Joe for dinner uh, one night while I was out there for this conference. And we had a great time. And I said, what's the biggest difference between living in Boston and living in Dallas? And we were talking about they had moved from, they moved from India to Boston and started coming to this church. And we were talking and laughing about some of the different things that as they were adjusting to life in a new culture. And we were meeting each other, some of the things that had happened. I said, well, now you've moved to a whole different part of the United States, a very different culture, even within the United States, what's the biggest difference that you notice? And I thought they might talk about accents. I thought they might talk about cowboy hats. I thought they might talk about, you know, whatever it is that you think of when you think of Dallas, Texas. But what they said was, there are way more of these types of circles in Dallas. I, we walk into coffee shops and there's Bible studies everywhere. And we feel so much more welcome and at home in Dallas than we did in Boston. With that said, they did say to me, but if we got the chance to move back to Boston, we'd do it in a second. All right? So don't feel like they've abandoned us completely. But that was really interesting to me because I think that that's true and I think that we feel that. John is writing to a church. This is the last little thing I'll do to set this up. And then just the, the thing that I, I, I want you to hear this morning, what I feel like God wants you to hear, and it's going to carry us through the next few weeks together. John is, he's old when he writes this letter. 
he's up there, you know. Jesus started his earthly ministry at 30 years old. John, maybe a little bit younger, maybe about the same age, is following Jesus. And now when he writes this, he's, he's much older than that. He's, he's like a father, grandfather type figure as he's writing to the church. And you can hear his fatherly love for the church come through in his letter because he talks about his, the people in the church. He calls them his dear children. And the church is battling not only outside forces around the church, but things that are coming inside. Because what's happening is the Christians are going out into the stormy world around them. And they're coming back in. And they've got a little bit of mud on them. They've got a little bit of, of water on them. And, and they're bringing all of that stuff back into the church. And that stuff is starting to affect the congregation. People are starting to say things that aren't true about Jesus and who he is. And in fact, if you read through the letter, when you read through the letter, you'll hear about people that have started to believe things that are false and they're leaving the church and they're taking people with them. And so this is a church that is crumbling and is under attack and isn't sure how to live in the world around it. And so John writes to his spiritual children. And he doesn't write a letter that's linear. It's a very poetic letter. He has themes that circle back through the letter over and over again. And we're going to see that together. The big ones being that God is light and that God is love. In the very few verses, first verses of the book, John gives us this idea that he wants the church in the first century world to know and that he wants you and I to know. They lived in a stormy world. We live in a stormy world. And it's this idea that joy, joy knows that what happens in this world never changes the fact that Jesus came into this world. Joy knows. Joy knows that, that whatever happens in this world does not change the fact that Jesus came into this world. Look at what he writes in the first four verses of this letter to the church that we call 1 John. This is what he writes. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is what uh, John says to the early church. The Christians are going out into the world, and it's stormy out there. And things are being said about who Jesus is, and they're coming back into the church. And was, as we go through the letter, the letter, we're going to see that people are beginning to believe that maybe Jesus really wasn't from God, or maybe Jesus really didn't come down to this earth. And John says very early to the believers, you want joy in a stormy world? You need to remember that whatever happens in this world does not change the fact that Jesus came into this world. 
he uses this sort of language. He says, people are telling you that Jesus didn't come to this earth, that he wasn't who he said he was. Listen, I, your spiritual father, I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. And everything that I saw and heard and experienced and felt throughout those years that I spent with Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, this is true and this is real. It actually happened. And it's almost as if John is saying, we're going to see him coming back over and over again to this idea that if you're going to go out into the stormy world, the one thing that you need to hold on above everything else as you walk out, is the reality and the truth that Jesus has come and he is exactly who he says he is. John says, you hang on to them. No matter what anyone says, no matter what anything, whatever happens out in that world, hang on to this truth. Take it with you. Don't leave it home. Take it with you. Because joy, I think John is saying, and we're going to see him say over and over again, knows Jesus is your shelter from the storm. You want joy? Hold on to the reality of who Jesus is and let him be your shelter from the storm. John says this in verse 4, verse 3 and verse 4, right? That which I have seen, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you might have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We need to build this fellowship if we're going to go out there and live with joy. When you live a lot in the dotted circle... When you live a lot in this sort of environment, I feel like this is how I kind of grew up. Like we went to church, but when I went out into the world growing up in the Midwest of this country in the 80s, like we were, we were, like the Christians were around. I, I knew a lot of other Christians in my public school. My, my dad went to work and there were a lot of other Christians that worked at the company that he worked at. Like it felt like we were hosting a lot of people. And that has shifted in our culture. We're now we're the guests. And I hear from you, and I hear from others. I don't think my work really wants me around as a guest. I don't think my professor wants me around as a guest. In fact, I know my professor doesn't want me around as a guest. My kids, my kids don't really want me around as a guest. And it's getting harder and harder to figure this out. When you're living in the dotted line, dotted circle, and this is your experience most of the time, I think church can very easily become that kind of place that you go and you get some life hacks about what it looks like to live a better life, more efficient life better quality life with Jesus. But church can't be that. Well, church should never be that, but it becomes that in a consumer-driven culture. That's a different sermon for a different day. 
But in a culture where we are constantly feeling like guests, we need this to be home. And that's what John is saying, that, that, that this gathering of the believers needs to be home, that you might have fellowship with one another as you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And one of the things that you and I need to start doing as we gather over donuts, by the way, the quality of donuts for Father's Day, they're in the fellowship hall right now, <laughs> phenomenal. But as we gather over coffee and donuts and all of those things, we have to tell the stories of what we're actually facing. Because I know, uh, talking to you, and Andrew knows, and Justin knows, and some of our other leaders know in the church, Lynn and Lori and Rosemary, like we hear your stories of all that you're facing at work, and all that you're facing at school, and all you're facing with your children, and all you're facing with your extended family members, as you're trying to say, I just want to love people, and I'm, I'm happy to respect people. I'm not trying to be a talking head on television. I'm not trying to do anything like that. I want to love Jesus, and I want to show Jesus love to other people, but it's getting harder and harder to do that. We need to start telling our stories to each other because it's so easy for us to sit in church and think you're dealing with it alone and you're not. So this needs to be the place where it becomes home that we can talk about these things and encourage one another and support each other. The one thing I hope that you leave with today, I'm going to invite the worship team back as we close out our time together. The one thing that I hope you leave with today, the one thing that I think John is telling this early church and that we're going to come back to over and over again is that a stormy world does not change that you've seen, heard, and know Jesus. If you follow Jesus Christ with your life, I mean, you've made that decision. You have repented of your sin and you have built relationship with him. You have a story of how God invaded your life and invaded your world and did something amazing inside of you. He transformed you. He made you new. He forgives your sin. And nothing that happens in a stormy crazy, turbulent world changes that reality. And John comes to his church and he says, my children, I know you're in the middle of it and I know you're dealing with a, a world out there and I know that world is coming inside of the church, but I want you to know and I want you to remember that I have seen Jesus, I've heard him, I've touched him, I've experienced him and everything that he is as the one who was, who was there before the creation of the world and who offers us eternal life is true. And that does not change. Even if you find yourself living here a lot more than you find yourself being able to live here. It doesn't change who Jesus is. And I feel like some of you need to hear that this morning. Because you're in it. And you're battling the storm. Hang on to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And I want to challenge you over the next few weeks. This book is, this letter is very short. I wonder what it would be like if we committed over the next eight weeks as we are in this letter to either read or listen to what John says here every single day. Take 15 minutes. You want to listen to it? Go for it. You want to read it? Great. You want to mix it up? Fine. But what if you took in the words of this book that John's writing to a church that is in a similar position as many of us. 
to hear that over and over and over again, what it is that God calls us to do. That's my challenge for you, that we would do that together in the coming weeks. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? God, I thank you for this reality. I thank you for the truth that no matter what changes in the world around us, you never change. And the reality of who Jesus Christ is does not change. And Lord, I pray for the person in this room that is struggling with this tension. Trying to live for Jesus, trying to live for you, and trying to live in this world is sucking the joy out of following Jesus. God, would you restore that joy today? The joy of knowing you, the joy of being a part of the family. Would you restore it and make us complete? And would we hold on to you no matter what? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and we'll close out our time together in song.